Hi, my name is Jennifer, aka The Glam Reaper, and today's episode we are getting into all things legal. Uh, lots of fun and interesting facts and some funny stories as well, and I think we're going to have to get this guest back on. So without further ado, let's take it away. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Glam Reaper podcast. Uh, today we have one of my favorite people in the entire world, not least the funeral industry, and that is Chris Farmer of The Farmer Firm. Also recently just got an amazing promotion to the NFDA General Council. So I would like to extend a fabulous and warm welcome to Chris. Welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. I just right, don't know why well, it's taken me so long to be a guest on your show. I mean, I've I've been listening for so long and I keep waiting for the invite and uh, I guess you ran out of guests so now I get to go, right? <laughs> that's true. We're like 23 episodes in and we're like, yeah, let's get Brinkers on board. <laughs> Got also, to the bottom I of the think, barrel. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I do say everyone's my favorite guest. No, I'm joking. Uh, well, you didn't have to tell me that. You didn't have to tell and say it out loud. <laughs> well, I'm always believe in open and transparency on the Glam Reaper podcast. So what can I say? Now, you and I know each other from quite a while. I think it's back in 2006. Oh my God, are we getting that old? Is it that long ago? Wow, Austin, yeah. isn't it? <gasps> oh my God. The international, can, the international reception, right? Yes, because I was an international person. Well, I still kind of am, even though I live in the States now, but... Anyway, we have formed a fabulous friendship since then, and Chris does amazing things. You are a lawyer, above all else. I mean, you know, well, I guess you're a dad and a husband and all those things we're supposed to say, you are as well. But you are a lawyer, a legal advisor to the funeral community at large. <laughs> How has that been for you? How many years have you been doing it? And yeah, give us a bit of background on you. So I've been doing that advising funeral service for about 20 years. When I was a baby lawyer, I did medical malpractice defense and uh, employer's liability fatality cases. Very technical, very, very interesting cases. But I also started doing work here in Houston for a little company called SCI. You might have heard of them. So I started doing work for them and had the opportunity to go in-house with them and handle all their litigation internationally. I did that for five years. I really got to know the profession. I really got to know the people and I just loved it. I mean, every matter I was dealing with was interesting. The people were fantastic and it was really, it was really satisfying to be able to represent and counsel people who were doing what they were doing as a calling instead of just as a job. You know, I mean, I knew that everybody I talked to truly had a deep passion for taking care of families. And it was really great to be able to help them do their job better. So I did that for about five years and went out in private practice with a medium sized firm here in town and had kind of started their funeral service practice there. I was during the same time, I was general counsel for the cremation association of North America. And I was general counsel for the Texas funeral directors association. And I spent just a ton of my time writing and speaking and traveling and, uh, Really got to know people outside of SCI and in the in the profession and really got to know people all over North America and the world. And it was just, it was great. Had a great time. Uh, I had an opportunity to go in-house with Carriage Services to run corporate development for them. And I did that for a short period of time. It wasn't uh, really the right fit for me. So I went back out, 
started my own law firm. Uh, I've been doing that for about six, seven years now and having a blast, really enjoying it. And then as of January 1, I'm also the general counsel for the National Funeral Directors Association. So doing both jobs there, advising the association board and then also the members and then being available if if they need more than, a, you know, if somebody needs more than just a 15 minute phone call with me. So I'm able to represent anyone in the funeral service industry and couldn't be happier. So what you're basically telling us is you're a hotshot. <laughs> just in summarizing all of that, <laughs> you're a hotshot. No, well, actually, what I'm basically just... telling you is I, I can't say no. And so I have like three full-time jobs and I just keep working. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I do. <laughs> I still manage to order wine and look after the Chihuahua. So that's good. I do my best. <laughs> yeah, I do want to touch on something that you mentioned way back, which is something that I actively try and bring to media attention whenever I can, which is, you know, you said that people in this community, it's a calling. The funeral community industry, whatever words we want to use to describe it, and I use, do sometimes talk about that in a topical sense, but they've been called cowboys so many times by the media. You know, they're robbing people left and right, all of that sort of stuff. I'm sure as legal counsel, uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot. You've probably heard a lot of things. No doubt you've probably defended or maybe been the opposing I don't know but what is the craziest you've ever heard because I'm sure there has to be especially no offense to Americans in America I mean come on there has to be some like skeletons in the cupboard no no pun intended well I want to address what you said and it's very interesting you discussed three very specific areas of professions funeral service lawyers and media now if you talk about the three groups of people that have this, you know, kind of stigma about what they do. Those are three of the top ones, right? And it's interesting that the media talks bad about lawyers and talks bad about funeral directors, okay? But I think it's because of the media that people don't like lawyers and people don't like funeral directors. Because I think lawyers and funeral directors are very similar in that people don't, people say, oh, I don't like funeral directors, except my guy. My guy's good. I love him. He took care of my family. My guy, my girl, they're the ones that I really, that I would do. I trust them. Same with lawyers. Everybody hates lawyers except for their guy, their girl. Their, my lawyer is the best. I think that it's the media that creates this whole stigma. So I think in general, there's way more good apples than there are bad apples by a factor of 100. So yeah. I think a lot of that is about misconception. A lot of that is, you know, you're never going to hear... You know, tonight at 10, local funeral director serves his family wonderfully and had no complaints. I mean, this, you're not going to hear <laughs> it, right? You're going to hear all this crazy stuff out there. We do try. And, and, you know, I think it's, that's just the nature of the beast. I, you know, it is what it is. I don't expect to hear, you know, NBC talking about things that didn't go wrong. But yeah. well, it's the sensationalism. Like absolutely. even I just asked you, like, tell us the worst thing. Because nobody wants to hear about the best thing, you know? Yes, and Absolutely. It, it really is. And you know what? You're you're so right, because even lawyers like to me, any lawyers, and I'm actually working on a memorial for a lawyer at the moment, potentially having it in the New York Bar Association. And it's like I walked into the building. I was like, oh, my God, look at all these books. Whoosh, I could never be a lawyer. Like, I'm like, no way. No, thank you. It's so funny because, you know, all these professions and stuff, it definitely is a calling. And, it, you know, it's not to sound saintly or, you know, like a spiritual calling, whatever, you know, mumbo jumbo you want to say. It's that you have to genuinely love what you do. And those people are 
are 100% not cowboys and going to do right by the families and stuff. And But we do all love the sensational stories. I mean, you know, and that's where the media come in. And you're absolutely right. They blow it out of proportion. And I mean, there was bodies piling up in Brooklyn during COVID and, you know, it's, but anyway, tell us, come on, give us a good story. <laughs> so back to, uh, back to the original question, way to stake on task. I can't, I can't uh, divert you there. You know, I have seen some very, very interesting cases, things that just, you just almost can't believe they're true. A large part of the problems that I've seen, it's kind of like a perfect storm scenario. You have a situation where you've got family dispute, which is the genesis of almost all of the problems that I see. You have a funeral director or a funeral home that is either short-staffed or overworked or something going on there. And it's it's usually just a, a situation of facts where there's not one thing that causes it to go crazy, but it is a, it's kind of a, a consolidation of, of the perfect storm of things going on. I think another thing that's a big issue, that a big reason why people have concerns about funeral service is that it's something that the general public doesn't want to talk about. They don't want to think about death. They don't want to talk about death. And it's one of these things that just kind of out of sight, out of mind. And there's a fear that it really comes from a, a not understanding what we do in funeral service. So, for example, with regard to cremation, you know, I get a lot of these aren't my loved ones cremated remains claims. There's a lot of that because they don't understand, you know, they're just there's this inherent fear in that about it. So there's a lot of there's a lot of concerns about that. I have had cases and a lot of these things you've heard in in the profession and i'm and i have had them verified firsthand had cases where the i have a client that calls and say first of all can i can i talk about things that are a little adult oriented on here i just want to make yes. sure we're good well, okay percent you can curse and everything no i know it's not about cursing it's just about stories that are just yes. like oh geez, okay um you know <laughs> we've had the case where i get called by my client and they say uh well we're doing a removal and we got called and the family's out of town and we went to go do the removal and the dad slash husband is in full drag. And what do we do? How do we do this? How do we handle this? There's a lot of very intimate situations that funeral homes, funeral directors have to handle and their discretion. They try very hard to do everything they can to, to be discreet and understand that sometimes we don't get to pick when we die. Sometimes we're, <laughs> we're in very vulnerable situations. I've had one circumstance that I had verified from multiple sources where a woman called and said, these are not my husband's cremated remains. She was adamant and we were trying to figure out why. And she said, because my husband was black and these cremated remains were white. And for us that deal with cremation, of course that makes sense. But for people that don't know, have never seen cremated remains, they don't know that. And it's this thing that's just, it's that fear and lack of understanding that can cause problems. I've seen stories where people complain about, oh my gosh, these cremated remains, they're, they're green. And it's not because they were from Ireland. It's because that if you have leather that's been tanned when it's cremated, a lot of times people, biker jackets, they want to be having cremated, it, that comes off with a green hue to them. So, you know, it's, it's the the fear and lack of understanding that can cause a lot of a lot of concerns. And I think a lot of times that that I've seen funeral directors get in trouble when they they're trying to protect the family, they're trying to protect their interests. And sometimes they're not as forthcoming as they should be with claims. 
with things that are going on because they're trying to protect the family. And, you know, I just tell them, you need, you just got to be totally transparent. You know, you have to let them know what's going on. You've got to give them all that information, even if it means something that may not be exactly what they want to hear. That's really the best way. So yeah, there's, there's nonstop, nonstop oh, stories. Even, even I know in, in, you know, my little bit of experience and I don't necessarily always deal with these, these more outrageous I guess stories and um and families and things but I know for a fact of families who say the dad has died and you know was in bed with two other mistresses and you know the wife was out of town or that you know one wife was in one country and then another wife heard that he had died and she's like no I'm his wife and then there's a whole oh, yeah. I mean it's fun and shits and giggles like it's and, you know, it's funny know. from the funeral home's perspective, it puts them in a very difficult situation because the, the you know, you just mentioned the, the two wives. I, I've had that happen multiple times where, you know, the husband passes away, the wife comes in and says, I want to take care of my husband's remains. And then the next day, another wife comes in and says, no, that's my husband. And the funeral home's like, well, what do we do? You know, we, we have two marriage certificates. How do we handle this? And, you know, it puts them in a very difficult situation because they're there to serve the family. And they can't be making legal determinations and who's right and who's wrong. So, you know, it, it's a very interesting, difficult situation. It is. And it's, you know, it's kind of terrifying a little bit because it's such a final, final thing. Like, you know, burial, I guess, you know, they can be taken back out and, you know, exhumed and all that stuff. But like cremation, there ain't no going back from cremation. And so if by God, you know, whatever way you've gone down that path and all of a sudden a second wife or a third husband or whatever rears his ugly head, then you've got a serious problem on your hands. But it's kind of terrifying, to be fair. I mean, for funeral homeowners and crematorium owners, there's a lot of litigation there, like a lot of. Yeah, yeah cremation is the bell that cannot be unrung. Is what yeah. I say, and I try to tell everybody: you've got to make sure that you dot your eyes, cross your t's, and document everything ahead of time. Because you know, if if you are questioned, you need to be able to show that you did everything right. And and a lot of these states now have statutes that say that we have the right to rely on the representations of someone who says they have the right to control. Because otherwise, I mean, we, we don't know any better. You know, it's it's not the days where the funeral home is serving a small community where they know everyone anymore. You know, in fact, that's that's the exception rather than the rule. Now, they don't know most of the people they serve. And so when you hear some of these stories of like, oh, they cremated a black woman instead of a white woman. How is the funeral home supposed to know that most of the time? I mean, it's not like they know these people ahead of time and they just say, OK, well, how am I? You know, it seems outrageous in the media, but the reality is they they may not know that. So there's a lot of that. It's it's difficult. And. The funeral homes really have to be careful. They've got to dot their I's, cross their T's. They've got to make sure everything's documented. And so a lot of times the families get frustrated because why am I filling out all these forms? What, you know, this, this is silly. And it's just like, no, we're here to, this is to protect you. We want to make sure that we're doing everything the right way. So now tell us though, for like, as I call it, Joe public or Joe blogs on the street, like what are the precautions that the funeral homes and the crematoriums are supposed to take if they're, you know, like just to give say John, who's at home, maybe listening to this, you know, okay. If he, he puts his dad into a funeral, you know, and, and they're getting cremated, like, what are those steps? Like, what sure. do we just chuck somebody into the fire, light her up and away we go. No. The answer to that is no, that's not at all what happens. Wait, um, it depends here. on the state. So each state has what's called a disposition statute, which gives guidance to who has the right to control. 
and they're all a little different. It's state law based. It's not federal. And generally, the law starts with it's a hierarchy of who has the right to control. The first is usually going to be the written instructions of the decedent. Okay, so so if you do a pre-need or if you know specifically what you want, you can give those instructions very specifically as here. This is what I want. And that's usually going to be what's honored first and foremost. Second is an assignment of the right to control by the decedent. So if the decedent says, uh, I am going to I want Jennifer to control or have the right to control my remains when I die, you can put it to you can give it to your spouse or you can give it to your neighbor or somebody you just met. It's it's it really is about I mean, you can it's really about having the person have the right to control their own disposition. If there aren't those in place, it will usually go to a hierarchy of the spouse, the children, the parents, uh, and then so forth down the line, usually, you know, with a uh, next of kin kind of hierarchy on there. So that's typically how it works. Every state's a little different. Some states, for example, would require one. If you have multiple persons, let's say there's multiple kids. Some states require only one child to authorize something. Some states require a majority and some states require all. It's a little different from state to state, but it's really just the guidelines that the funeral homes have to say, you know, we don't get to make this decision. So then the, the, you know, it's the funeral homes will say, okay, I follow this disposition statute. I have the written instructions or I have the spouse. And quite often it's not that cut and dry. I have right now, I'm dealing with a case where from this morning where we have multiple written instructions from the decedent and they are contradictory. And so my client's like, what do I do? How do I, you know, which one should govern? And I said, I can tell you what I think, but you should not do anything because these are legal forms. You have, there is a, both of them have valid claims and this needs to be determined by a judge. You know, this is, this is something that it's not up for us to decide. And it's, you know, sometimes that makes it more difficult and more expensive for the families and for the funeral homes. So, you know, the, the, the most important thing I can tell people, and I'm sure you have said this more often than not, you know, all the time is, is make sure that you make clear what your wishes are ahead. You know, and it's not about going in and, and having to necessarily spend tens of thousands of dollars on a funeral. It's just if you have something, if you think that there's going to be a dispute, if you've got family issues, Make sure you make your wishes clear, crystal clear, and make sure everyone knows what they are. And that's really the best thing you can do so that you can make sure that you don't have, your family can focus on taking care of you, your remains and, and memorializing your memory and thinking about what ha- all the good stuff instead of fighting over silly things. That's It's just really the best advice I can give to the public. Yeah, 100%. It's so important. And it, I'm glad you reiterated it from a legal point of view because it really, really is. It's, it's so crucial. And it's so heartbreaking as well for, I'm sure for you, but for funeral directors and, and all of us involved to watch families just fall apart and tear each other apart over something so small that could have been resolved and just wasn't. Now, in terms of the body going going for cre- uh, cremation, like how do they follow that it's Jennifer Muldowney going all the way in and that it's her remains coming out? Tell us a bit about that. So chain of custody. Yeah. So you basically want to document from when the, the funeral establishment receives the remains or removes the remains until when the cremated remains are returned back to the family. You really want to have chain of custody that shows documentation from every step in the process whether they were you know the removal paperwork the transfer paperwork if they were put in refrigeration 
for a certain period of time. You know, if there was an embalming, you want to have that documented. Obviously, the crematory logs and then the returning of the cremated remains. You want to make sure that you can know, okay, they were locked away here until the family showed up on this day. And this is the person who picked it up, you know, have them sign off, document all that stuff. So obviously, I think I'm sure you've talked about properly cremated and processed cremated remains cannot be identified from a genetic perspective. The processing and the heat combined destroys all viable DNA. And so the only way that you can show that these were my loved ones cremated remains is by the, the chain of custody documentation. So it, it's it's important to show for crematories and funeral homes to show, hey, this is what we did and we did the right thing and we can document it from start to finish. From a consumer's point of view, that's probably a little bit terrifying because it's kind of like you're you're really trusting that these remains you're getting back are who they're telling you they are. I mean, that is a little bit terrifying. What do you make of sort of all the new, you know, we've got burial or cremation, we all know that, but all these new methods of disposition that are coming up, like you've got the composting and the water cremation and stuff like that. And I mean, what do you, I guess this is a two-part question, like what do you see as the future for that? And equally, you know, are they better in terms of tracking and genetic and DNA and all that testing? Are they any better in that? I know they're better for the environment, but yeah, what's your thoughts on all that? Uh, first of all, you know, I'm a capitalist. And I think that if there are things that families want, things that families see value in, then it is in our interest as a profession to be able to provide them those things, as long as they're safe and as long as they're, you know, it's within reason, right? Uh, within the bounds of health and safety kind of thing. I think they're fantastic. I love the fact that there's so many options. You know, I, th I think that people really gravitated toward cremation, not because they were cheap not because they didn't want to spend money on their on their loved ones. I think people gravitated toward cremation because a lot of people didn't see the value in a, you know, $8,000 box you're going to see once and stick in the ground. Now, I'm not knocking caskets. I think there's some beautiful caskets out there and I think it's phenomenal and you, you know, I I would love to have that as kind of a, you know, eternal resting place. But I think some people just don't see that. And that's okay. And so I think people went to cremation because it was a, a value proposition. It wasn't about trying to spend less. And I think that's really true because I've seen a lot of people that chose cremation spending $10,000 on parties and, and memorializations and these you know celebrations of life. And it's like, they, they weren't being cheap. They just didn't see the value. And when you can give them something in which they see value, they'll spend the money. And so whether it's you know alkali hydrolysis or whether it's you know, shooting somebody's remains to the you know, outer space or printing them in a record. It's about finding value for the consumers. That's our job. And so I'm for whatever, whatever the consumers want to do. I do think that there is inherent value in funeral service professionals that maybe the general public doesn't understand and they won't understand until they go through the process. My dad died when I was when I was in college. And I didn't want to go to the visitation. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. I wanted to only remember him alive. And I think that I missed a very valuable opportunity to go through the grieving process. And I think it kind of delayed my entire process for some years after that. And so I see the value now in what I do for, for visitation, for services, for things that people may say, I don't see value in that. I think it's important for the funeral directors to be able to convey that message and express that to people. And even though they may not see value in initially, 
to try and say, I think you should do this because I think here's where you're going to end up. Now, at the end of the day, if the consumer says, yeah, we can do that, but I want to shoot his cremated remains into space, then that's okay too. Uh, so I think it's a balancing act between what the consumer wants and what the consumer doesn't know but really needs. And so it's it's to me, that's how it works. As far as the future, you know, there's so much going on right now. There's so many things that are people are trying to find value propositions and, and come up with the next great idea. You know, I'm, I'm working with several states on natural organic reduction. And that's the big thing right now. That's the newest thing on the block. And that's, you know, it's it's interesting. Basically, the process is it's composting that reduces you down to eventually dirt. And so that's something that people some people love and other people are horrified by it. And it's that's OK. You know, it's 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 what people want for themselves. So I don't know what's next, but uh, it's I, I'm all for all of those things. And as far as the the genetic identification, I'm pretty sure that with uh, alkali hydrolysis, that's not I don't think there's DNA recoverable in that as far as the natural organic reduction. I would imagine there is, but I just, I'm not sure. I don't, yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah, it's, it's exactly, you know, as you said, the people seeing value in different things. There's always going to be a crowd that will be against burial, a crowd against cremation, a crowd against alkaline, a crowd against, doesn't matter what, you know, you invent. And that this goes across the board. It's not even the funeral in, innovation. It's it's everything. There's always going to be a for and against and a maybe. A people sit on the edge and sort of, you know, we'll wait and see how much this takes off. So, yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Now, tell me this. What is the one thing you would change about the funeral, whether it's legal or otherwise, that you would change about the funeral industry as it is now? What's the one thing you would change if you had all the power in the world, Mr. Hotshot? <laughs> I think that on the legal side, I think we're facing a real challenge right now with having a disposition statute that's too rigid that does not allow for default provisions. I think it's a little over half that have some kind of a, if this person doesn't, then, then we can kick down to the next one. And I, I'm finding a, funeral homes are really, really struggling. You know, they're saying, Hey, look, the husband died. The statute says the wife has the right to control, period. There's no default on that. And they're saying, well, the wife's, you know, in the hospital with COVID on a ventilator and we can't get her approval for anything. And there is no provision that would allow the next person in line to step up or anything like that. And so they're stuck. I mean, the family's stuck. The family says, well, look, we will, you know, the kids say we want to take care of dad. Okay. But you don't have that right under the law. We can't give you the right under the law. And so it's just, it's a really difficult situation. So on the legal side of things, I really would like to see all states have some kind of a provision about being able to have the somebody else take control if if somebody's either willing, unwilling, or unable to do so. I know we are working with uh, South Dakota this past week, uh, working with them. They're getting the NFDA model disposition law passed, and they had questions about that very subject. So talk to them about that. So I know it's out there. I know people understand that. That's what I would like to see the states that don't have something like that in there, give them that guidance. And then as far as the funeral home side, I think that they're, it's a very traditional, old fashioned industry. And that's great. Not industry, profession. So don't say industry, profession. And I think that's great. But I think some people in the profession need to have a little more open mind about what families want. I think some of them are a little old fashioned. And I think that they think there may be only one way to do things. 
and I know there's people like you leading the way to change that. And I think when people realize that people are going to grow, a lot, some people are going to gravitate toward your way of doing things and that they're missing out on opportunities to serve families. I think that they're going to change their mind, but I think that, I think there's a good sec section of our, of our profession that really needs to understand that it's not about what the funeral director wants. It's about what the family wants and it's our job to educate them on what their options are and to, you know, it doesn't have to be, like I said, it's a balancing act, right? You want cremation. Great. Did you know that you could have a service with or without the body present prior to cremation? Really? We could do that? Absolutely. That way you can say goodbye. You can have everybody, you know, do that and still have cremation. Those are the kind of things that a lot of people don't know. So yeah. being able to really provide the family with those kind of answers and options, I think is the most important thing that our profession can do right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, last question for Mr. Professional. What is going to be your funeral song? Have I silenced uh, ladies and gentlemen? Holy moly. <laughs> actually, believe it or not, I've actually thought about this multiple times in the last week for, for various okay. reasons. I would say... Is it going to be Beyonce who runs the world? No. I have several. <laughs> okay. So my... Uh, my oldest daughter goes to a Scottish school and they have world champion. Like they go to Scotland and kick the Scottish people's butts in dancing and pipe and drum. And they are wow. world, world champion, world-class. It is phenomenal. And I'll go to pick up my daughter from school and the, you know, there'll be 20 bagpipers out there and, and you know, band playing. And I, I love it. It's awesome. So I definitely would have, little amazing grace on the bagpipes because that will get me right here every time that that gets me you know like um onions type stuff so that one and then the other one i was thinking of this week is do a little frank get a little my way going you know i know that's very cliche and everything but it's still it pretty it dang cool. certain people you know those are the kind of things that's like those are the things that get to me you know so excellent good choices interesting choices learn something yeah, i'm all today. over the place just you know, I, I, I am it's still might put in a bit of Beyonce. Well, I'm going to be gone. So I don't know what's going to happen when I'm going to be gone. You know, just want to make sure and leave your plans to me. Okay. <laughs> there you go. I need to I'll plan, plan it out. I need to put it in writing. <laughs> yeah. I'll plan the party. They can take care of the rest. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much. Unless there's anything else you want to share and enlighten us with, we will let you go and get back to your, your very, very busy hotshot lifestyle. Oh, I appreciate it. You know, I, I think the one thing I, I didn't do well, very well, and I know I wish I wish I would have had more time to tell war stories and there's tons of them. The one thing I was I was talking to you about earlier was, you know, if you've ever been on a jury and you're trying a case, you know that they, they bring in a big panel for the jury. So it's a whole bunch of people. If they need 12, they're going to bring in 30 or 40 or 50. And, uh, you know, the plaintiff's attorney will have an opportunity to, to ask questions and then the defense attorney. Well, I was trying to case one time for a funeral home client of mine, and we had a big panel. It was like 50 people, and the plaintiff's attorney was asking questions, and we asked questions, and then the judge got up, and uh, the judge said, you know, is there is there anybody that can't serve on this jury today? And this guy in the back raised his hand and said, I can't stand And the judge said, son, I can't hear you. You need to stand up. And the guy stood up and said, your honor, I can't serve on this jury. And the judge said, well, why not? And the guy said, because my wife's at home and she's about to conceive a baby. And the judge looked at him and said, Sir, son, I'm not sure that's what you mean, but you should probably be there either way. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That took me a hot second. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, 
God damn it. Oh, I didn't put my smart, smarty pants on this morning. <laughs> that took me uh, out. Oh, you're hilarious. All right. Well, if anybody wants to hire a lawyer with a sense of humor that loves the bagpipes, uh, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll get you on again soon. I promise we won't leave it till the 44th episode. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm back anytime I can. I appreciate it. enjoyed recording that episode equally so listening to it back so I hope you did as well I think we're gonna have to definitely get Chris back on because I know he's got a lot more juicy stories to share with you all if you have any questions about legal anything uh, to do with the funeral industry please do drop us a comment send us an email at glamreaperpodcast at gmail.com and we will be sure to get back to you also to pass them on to Chris if you've got anything you want to say to him or share some love. Um, we look forward to talking to you soon. Bye-bye.